Hi, welcome to Women's Health Matters podcast. Please subscribe to the channel and share with your friends. This podcast has been designed to empower women to become who they want to be, to set goals and aims and be able to carry through with them. I'm a menopause consultant and I help you reach those goals and also we do hormone testing, the Dutch test, to find out exactly what is going on. If you'd like to find out more and how I can help you, you can just click the link below in the bio and that will link me up to you. Also, on all these podcasts, we're looking at different aspects of women's health, sleeping, nutrition, exercise, and having fun. So sit back and enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to Women Health Matters podcast and on this podcast I have amazing guests who give us lots of information on different nutrition, that foods that you need to eat, healthy exercise, financial help or just support with your mind and I also run a consultancy for women who are struggling with menopause and if you'd like to ever have a chat with me or anytime it's free, all you should do is give the link, it'll be in there little box at the bottom. So today I'm joined by an amazing guest and I have done some of her courses online through acupuncture and the amazing universal process and it's again something that I offer to women to help clear things that are going on in their systems. So today I'm joined by Kath Berry. Welcome to this podcast, podcast Kath, sorry I get my words muddled up here. Um, welcome and can you tell us what you do and yeah introduce yourself. Thank you, Lucy, and hello, everyone listening today. See, my name's Kath Berry. I'm an Australian acupuncturist now living in Ibiza in Spain, a little island off the coast of Spain, and I'm a mother of two. I have a daughter who's nine and a son who's 10, and I'm just recently divorced, so I'm on a personal journey through womanhood and understanding what it's like to be a single in my mid-40s. On top of that, I'm sort of, I would say I'm officially in my perimenopause and that's what's inspired the writing of a recent textbook, which is for other acupuncturists. It's not for the general public, but it's called Menopause, a Comprehensive Guide for Practitioners. And so Lucy, it's so wonderful to be on your podcast. I've listened to many of your shows and you've had some incredibly inspire, inspiring women. And I just wanted to, you know, again, thank you for your time as an acupuncturist helping women and upskilling in learning how to you know, better help people in practice, either in face-to-face -face or online. So I think it's really wonderful that we're now living in an age where we can help more people just through providing diet advice, through providing lifestyle advice, and also just being a helping hand, somebody to talk to during really, really tough times. It's true, actually. And I think uh, we're both acupuncturists and traditional Chinese medicine is your background as well as mine. But I think a lot of people don't really understand about what acupuncture is. They just associate it with putting in, in needles and pain. And it's actually, a huge, that's a very, very small part of Chinese medicine. There's an awful lot more involved in this practice. Indeed, and I think this is one of the things, you know, the, the book that I mentioned has been four years in the making. And one of the, the most extraordinary aspects of that is realising the inter, interplay between so many things that we do. The, the most striking for me, in fact, was the role of exercise. I had, you know, you hear all the time, you know, eat well, sleep well, good diet, good food and exercise. 
but what my colleagues and I who've written the book went through the process of understanding the science behind all of those activities. And, and that was probably the most critical aspect for me was understanding the role of exercise in wellness and cardiovascular health, uh, you know, looking at things like hot flushes and the incidence that can be reduced with a really constant and rigorous exercise regime. And probably more importantly than anything else is the role of exercise in mental health. I think that was uh, the most extraordinary piece of information to just see, we know this, but what's lovely is when you, you start to explore the science behind and, and really all it, it all it really told us is that it is so important to follow the, that, that what in Chinese medicine, the Yang Sheng principles. Yang Sheng is four legs of a chair. That's eating really well, diet, nutrition. And of course, as a you know, consultant, you can provide that information for somebody online. Uh, the, the other leg of the chair is uh, making sure that somebody's sleeping really well. We're, we sort of, we're so wired to look at our productive selves and our energetic selves that we sort of really focusing on the value of sleep. Uh, the, the other aspect is mental wellness and, and movement. So the idea of um, mentally staying well in terms of uh, making sure that even things, I would go so far as to, to look at who the company that you keep. More recently, I've been really inspired to go and listen to podcasts from inspirational teachers from the last sort of last century. And it's fascinating how these repetitious themes come up. And one of them is, is if you want to be a happy person, surround yourself with happy people. And I think that that's a really interesting life choice is to start looking at your friendship groups and the time, who you're spending time with in terms of looking at your own mental wellness. Could that be being influenced by other people's stress or other people's addictions, other people's inability to cope? And maybe it's a time for a bit of a social review on who's coming through that menopausal transition versus who gets left behind in a former life. So it's, it's one of the lovely things, as you say, Lucy, Chinese medicine is so broad. It's, it's, a, it's an entire system of a, approaching life and wellness and that, that as clinicians that there's every single tool available to really maximise women's outcomes. It's true, actually. It's very interesting you said that the four legs of the chair because I use that a lot on my uh, masterclass, my perimenopause masterclass. And I always, I, with the mental health, I always put in having fun and curiosity again, because as I don't know where we lose it, but you've young children, I have a young daughter, I have two older ones, but a young daughter as well. But it's her curiosity in the world, I think, helps, because they always say young children keep you young, but I think it's the curiosity of young children that keep you young. It's like looking at in their little nooks and crannies at spiders or you know some flower that they've seen or if you're driving along that they I remember my, my friend's little boy saw the sea for the first time and you couldn't believe all that water you know it's just that joy of living and learning again and I think we lose that some way in the seriousness of earning a living and having children and maybe having to be I think a lot of women who have kids suddenly have to be very serious and lose their sense of humor in a way it's such an interesting observation and I know it's um one of the key themes of a lot of motivational speakers is always looking at reframing yeah. how can we take a situation and reframe it so that it's not a positive or a negative you know for a lot of people it's a really negative we we're programmed to be imprinted on the negative it's the negativity bias 
And really what we want to be looking at, and this is really critical for menopause, is, is actually how can we reframe this as the, a really positive experience? So, you know, for a lot of people, it's tied up in, in an our society. It's tied up with the ageing process, which already has these inbuilt stigma attached to it, that somehow ageing is associated with pain, it's associated with losing of certain things. And, and this is where I feel that there's a lost opportunity to really look at how can we reframe this as all the things that are gained in the process. And one, one of the most critical things which we see, you know, particularly in, in women in politics, women in power, women in roles of influence, is this real ballsiness that comes through. And in Chinese medicine terms, that this is this real yang energy. You know, we're looking at yin and yang. And women are traditionally yin and they're very passive and they manoeuvre through life and let their male counterparts who are very yang and very masculine take the lead. What we see in these menopausal years is women starting to step into their power. And it's something I'm really fascinated by because I also think women's power is very different to men, that, that men find power through being very loud and very, very confident and being very, very sort of, you know, extroverted. Whereas I think women's power can sometimes be very introverted, being very organised, very methodical. And it's just fascinating to see that menopause, I think, is the greatest opportunity for women to shine, that this is the chance that often women are, their children have grown up so that their time has become more available, that they've got all these skills from being a parent or being a mother or juggling life and work. And that really the menopause is this clean opportunity to start this new phase the listeners today might be aware of what's considered the gates of life theory. It's a fairly strong theory in the Chinese medical framework. And that is that we have these very distinct gates we go through and puberty is one. Puberty is the first major gate. For women, there's a second gate of, of pregnancy and childbirth. And so for some women who do choose to have, have children and go through pregnancy and childbirth, that they're entering into this new uh, field of, into their gate. And then the third one for women is menopause. And so that this is this opportunity of saying a little bit like puberty, it's this time of rediscovering who you are, who you're passionate about, what drives you, what you, what, what you find disgusting, you know, that, that this is an opportunity to really come alive. And Lucy, I love what you're saying about being curious, you know, give yourself permission to reevaluate everything that you once thought. And, and my particular interest as a, a woman, as I mentioned, going through, just recently gone through divorce, is having to sort of re-enter into society as a single woman and, and rediscovering sex and dating and exploring sexuality. And it's this, you know, almost sort of feeling like a teenager again, going, oh, my goodness. And, you know, it's, it's, you know with, with the, 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 it's really fun and it's challenging because, you know, with online dating, it's really confronting because, it's, you know, you're quite literally having to promote yourself to, you know, with photographs and these, you know, biography where you're, you're putting your wares out. Um, I had I, uh, one Tinder date the other day said something like, you know, if that's part of the stall that you're putting out, I was thinking, oh, gosh, is that, is, is that what we've become? You know, we're sort of all little market stalls and we're displaying our wares and, and, and having to just understand that dating in, in the year 2022, in your mid to late 40s, is a really different experience as a teenager. But I say that with this absolute um, wild enthusiasm because it's you know really appreciating the the other aspect that I've learned. I mentioned exercise being a really critical aspect of a healthy menopause, and in fact, sex and sexuality is another big one. 
it's a really big part. I said, yeah, you, you, what do you, what's been your experience working on your uh, online consultancy with your perimenopausal clients? Um, that sex seems to take a back seat quite a lot for them. Um, they don't have the energy and they don't feel that they are valued enough within their relationship. It's become mechanical. You know, it's just a process that they do. Um, so, and lack of energy, I think, is a huge, big factor that comes into this. So I, you know, what would I say to my patients is if you like, if you'd gone away with your husband for a lovely or your partner for a couple of weeks, you probably spend the first week sleeping, but you know, the heat of the sun and closeness of your contact with each other rekindles that flame that's there. And you'd be surprised, you know, you start holding hands, you start feeling more relaxed, you start feeling that he's looking into your eyes again and connecting with you. And then that, because again, it comes down to that hormone estrogen. Now there's estrogen comes in lots of different, there's estrogen just one word for different, different types of estrogen, but it comes to that hormone that we want connection. And when we get that from our partner, yeah, then we, you know, sex becomes enjoyable again because you feel close to the person I think that's what happens you know even if you sit on the couch kind of on top of each other again like you did when you first started dating and I can you know I often see women they're like there's no way I could do that again you know like first of all they're very conscious of their bodies they may have gained weight or had cesarean sections or breastfed so they don't look the same and you know they're ashamed of that element of themselves so they they won't you know, in, in all fairness, men really don't care <laughs> that what you look like in a way. They just want to have sex with you. So, um, and, and I think there's so much to be said about um, women reclaiming their sexual energy. Mm-hmm. So that it, not just even the sort of sexual intercourse, but this idea of being, um, you know, sexual beings. And one of, one of the things I get disturbed about being in the menopause area is how, acceptable it seems to be it's like well I've lost my libido and I'm not having sex but it's like I've I'm retired from sex you know and and there's an expression this is one of the back in the early days that I would hear a lot from my clients saying I feel dead from the waist down Mm. and and the trouble with that is you know being organic beings is that we're made up of material like the, the tissues which require constant lubrication and constant activity so if you imagine uh, the, the vaginal canal and, and all the genitals being like any other part of the body made up of muscle tissue and, and circulation of blood and fluids, is it needs exercise. And, and this is, it's, there's, a, there's a wonderful expression which I use, which is use it or lose it. And this is where things like vaginal atrophy, which is this drying, shriveling, shrinking of the vagina, and then sex becomes painful. So it sort of then perpetuates its own sort of you know, lack of interest. But one of the things I would say to all women is just keep that fire burning. And even if that means on your own. So again, yeah. people like myself in a divorce, you may not have a partner, is don't rely on one. You know, we are in the year 2020. There's the most incredible opportunity for sex toys, masturbation, for being able to, you know, really um, make an effort of keeping that, that sexual energy alive. And, and I think that there's a little bit of a misnomer in the idea of like that you're going to have this fire of the be be really turned on by looking at somebody. I think we can put that to the first gate of life and say that that shit probably sailed in in puberty (laughs) and that we're all adults. We need to get practical. We need to understand that, you know, things take work. 
And that with, with a lot of my menopausal clients, I'll say things that's a little slow to get started, but I get there in the end. And that's a really important message is don't, you know, often nobody really genuinely feels like going to the gym, but you know, when you leave the gym, you're going to feel terrific. And that's a little bit like jumping into the sack. You know, it's like you don't necessarily have to be super in, into it to start because you know the benefits are going to be all the way along. And there is there is a lot to be said about, about penetrative sex or, or penetration generally, whether that's with a sex toy or with fingers from somebody else or yourself, that really making sure that, that everything is being well used. And I, I've got this wonderful expression I call it sexercise. You know, thinking like sometimes even if you don't feel like having sex with somebody, it's like you do your sex exercise because if you don't, then then it's then the opportunity is taken away. Then things like like the vaginal district, the vaginal atrophy does set in, and it just becomes more more problem, problematic to reverse. So it's you know I, I really feel strongly about saying to women is don't don't be okay about being okay about not having sex. <laughs> you know, it's just there's, there's sort of obviously if it's it, you know I, I encourage all women to be incredibly autonomous and and really um sure of themselves but that's also but not to let that slide just because it's somehow considered normal and acceptable for women over 50 to to lose their libido and that that's okay um just as a little you know physiological aside to that is that the 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 uh, clitoris is actually made up of very similar erectile tissues as a penis Mm-hmm. And so what we often see is you know, that we, we understand that men get erectile dysfunction you know, as, they, as they age, and hence you know, medications like Viagra that came along to resolve some of those symptoms. Women have the same. It's exactly the same. We get erectile dysfunction. And what's because the clitoris and all the internal structures aren't seen, it's, you, you can't actually see a woman not being able to get it up. So therefore, it's it's often just blay, uh, sort of more broadly called sort of sexual dysfunction. When really, if you just understand that it's just just not getting an erection and having to look at the mechanic, ways to to encourage blood supply, ways to encourage arousal, whether that might be listening, watching, reading, you know, being more, as you say, curious, you know, that curiosity of a child, but applying that to adult interests and that sex and sexuality is a really big part of pleasure and happiness and feeling good. And, you know, it's it's private and it's something that I think should be encouraged more for women because it's you know, not only is menopause a little bit taboo, it's, we're talking about the, the very dark recesses of menopause. Is, is oh, this is our a pleasure. hugely never talks about ever and it is massive. It's huge. It is huge because... Um, you know, the, some reasons, are, you know, as you said, they feel dead from the waist down, they don't like what they look like, they have no energy, they can't be bothered, haven't done it for so long, why would you bother? But it is that, well, connection back to yourself, really, and self-love, and understanding that it is a physical need that you do need, and it, and there's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about, actually. And it's, to me, it's like an appetite, you know, it's, it's sort of be, you know, imagine a whole bunch of people walking around going, I've lost my appetite, therefore I'm not eating. They're like, oh, there's an eating disorder, we need to fix this and we need to, you know, resolve this. Because I sort of see it as the same. And the only difference, obviously, is that the one is about survival and the other one is about pleasure. But I feel like that's something that that it's, I, I just feel sad that we accept that women will lose their sense of pleasure and that that's okay. You know, I just feel like that's why are we being told that's okay? Why is that acceptable? And again, if you if you you know look at how much activity has gone in around making sure that men retain their sexual 
bravado and their sexual their sexual prowess you know all the way through their life you know i feel that there's that that's something that women should have and it's an equal opportunity uh, for, for sort of you know for, sex, for sexual pleasure and it's you know, the, the, the funny thing you just you were talking about sort of the sexual confidence and it's been it is really interesting um online dating and i sort of see something like a, an app like tinder is it's, it's like speed dating yourself you know really understanding what you're into and what you're not and what upsets you and what doesn't and where your needs are and where your you know rejection sensitivities and it's it's the most you know fascinating exploration in your own identity. Well, that's where I've experienced has been the most fascinating exploration in my identity to to go into these apps and 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 sort of see. So the other thing with uh, understanding menopause is women. There's everybody's in all these different situations. There's people that are single by choice, single not by choice, in long term marriages with people that they may or may not still have emotional feelings for. So there's you know, all these different variations of how somebody might be transitioning through all with its own sort of elements of complexity. Um, one, of, one of the things we are seeing is that there is a more increased rate of STDs in women in their late 40s and 50s because people are divorced, they're going to apps, going, well, I'm not fertile anymore, so therefore there's no, need, no more need for contraception, and as a result we're sort of seeing a rise in these other, other problems. Yeah. So every, oh, so it's like every, every solution we have creates more problems and every problem has more solutions. So it's an incredibly interesting area. And, and obviously I, I want to make it clear to people listening that there isn't obviously a one size fits all. It's very much, you know, around personal situations, but just looking, almost doing an audit and saying, which parts of my life am I happy with? Which parts am I not? And what can I be doing about those? It's very true. So I would have separated from my ex-husband in my mid thirties and I would have thought at that point I had my two kids I was, very, I was lucky I had my two children so it wasn't and I was quite young I was 30 well I it's young now when I think about it by the time I thought I was ancient <laughs> it's funny isn't it where you get different concepts of time uh, 34 and I thought that was it for me I'd never meet another person again I thought I was too old past my prime past everything so it really does affect you when you are in a long-term relationship and move on. And I did consider online dating and it was one thing, you know, about a year later, my mom, she was like, it's about time you put yourself back out there. You're a young woman. And I was like, mom, really? I was like, I don't need to have this conversation with you. But you know, she was right. And I started going back out again. I wasn't interested per se in meeting anybody, but I just started going out and having fun again, fun for me. And um, on a night out, that's when I met PJ. And I had no, you know, wasn't intending on meeting anyone. I was just, as I said, it was about me. And I think that's really important when, you, when you're recently separated or you're getting your head around the situation to make it back about you again and nothing else, just looking after you. And yeah, it was, you know, having sex with another person again was very daunting putting us you know I didn't actually I was thinking about online dating we didn't get that far because I, I luckily I met PJ in the street it was funny the way I met him he knew my friend and we started dating didn't think it was going to go anywhere just used it as fun and you know like we're together now 14 years 15 years I think and we have a little girl you know so life and it's good and obviously all relationships have their ups and downs but I think um Leaving someone is incredibly brave. It's like jumping off a cliff and really not knowing where you're going to land, but also putting yourself back out there 
is also very brief. It's incredibly, it's about, as you said, stepping back into your power. And the excitement, I remember the excitement of first meeting PJ and is he gonna text me? Isn't he gonna text me? Do I say this? Do I say that? And I think it doesn't change no matter what age you are. I think it's always there, an element of that excitement of meeting somebody new. And I, I think what's interesting, you know, when we think about the menopause or the menopausal years is looking at all the other factors that are involved. So, we, you know, we've just talked about sex and relationships. You know, the other, the other sort of confronting factor is around things like parenting. And I've, I've been working on what, you know, one of the important aspects of the book for me was making sure that it was all evidence-based so that we're making sure that everything is scientifically rigorous. And one of them was looking at the role of progesterone and estrogen. And so looking at from, from the age of birth all the way through life to death, what, what do these very important hormones do? And what's fascinating is if you, if you ever look, and I, you know, I encourage anyone listening today to Google you know, the progesterone and, and estrogen over a woman's lifetime, and what will come up is this very distinct graph of it, sort of we're born with a certain amount, and then during puberty, you get this sort of incredible wiggly woggly line of it going up, and then it increases up into, into the reproductive years. And then there's an equally wiggly woggly line, and that's perimenopause. And that's as, as estrogen and progesterone are de decreasing. And I was looking at these wiggly lines and thinking, this must be a joke that humans are designed that the, at the exact same time that you would have teenage kids and menopausal women, you know, <laughs> thinking like, wow, there's all these, there's these long episodes of stability in our lives, but the two most sort of volatile happen to occur in the same house at the same at time, the same time. Yeah. and thinking, you know, isn't that, isn't that just sort of a trick of nature to sort of put, put all these, you know, that as women are discovering their own identities, they're in the household potentially with other people doing the same. So, uh, you know, I, it, it's really made me understand how these confounding factors are. You know, and, and then the other, the other look at that is, is where ageing parents fit in, that, that often menopausal women are caught, they call it the sandwich years, stuck between raising sort of teenagers to adolescent to sort of late teens, and then, you know, right where it looks like the, the children are about to leave the nest, the parents become more dependent, either that's through illness, immobility, or through, a, you know, a, a palliative care dying or process or, or sudden death, you know, and that sudden death or a loss of one a, a loss, a loss of you know, yeah. grieving, grieving. And, and so again, you, you know, looking at these wiggly lines of chemistry and thinking, oh my goodness, if that's the symphony that's playing in the background and then a life event happens, like losing a parent or caring for a parent or, you know, having some sort of set of circumstances that you, know, you can really understand why women do find it stressful, that it's, it's, you know, it is a combination of all these social factors, notwithstanding on top of that for some women, losing confidence is a big part. So working in the workforce, often it's around the age that women are more likely to be promoted. So there is this sense of being given more responsibility. So workload rather than decreasing, starting to increase, or the paradox to that is some women getting sidelined, is that they've reached the glass ceiling, that they've come to this point where they're finding that they're putting the same amount of work in and they're not actually getting traction and they're, they're sort of being sidelined by, by younger people, generally men, coming through. So, you know, what, what it means is in the workplace, in the home, within their bodies biochemically, within their social structure, within the family, often it's responsibility of the women to take care of the parents if there's siblings involved, so, you know, you're looking at all these different factors. It's not just the biochemistry, but it's within the social construct as well. So I would be, so how, so I, so for me, when I'm learning something new, I'd like to, I really, for me to actually understand 
how to implement the changes in my life. Say, say for example, eating gluten-free. I understand that gluten would clogs up your system and doesn't allow minerals and vitamins to be absorbed correctly into your blood, creates different, you know, bloated, constipation, pain, those type of things. So I understand that really helps me understand why you wouldn't have gluten in your diet. But say for like scientifically for something like that, when you are dealing with menopause, teenage children or elderly parents, like scientifically, how does that come into it? Mm. Look, to be honest, this is where I think, you know, th things like your online consultancy, being able to help women sit down and map out all of the factors. Yeah. What is, you know, because I think often we, we, we don't even get to say that this is a problem, you know, that these, it's, it's even just being able to, on a piece of paper, draw out which which are the things that are bothering me the most? And, and I would always encourage anyone that's really struggling is to reach out and get help. You know, that there's this wonderful, you know, what services like your own is being able to say to say to women, it's just giving a framework of, okay, let's let's meet every week during crisis time, meeting every week, maybe once a fortnight, maybe meeting once a month online, mapping out a diet plan, mapping out an exercise plan, mapping out a strategy to cope with all these different things that are going on. And, and really, um, one of the lovely things I learned from Chinese medicine is name it to tame it. That is that until you work out what the problem is, you cannot work out what the solution is. So the process of just simply naming what are, the, what are all the factors that are the moment creating a feeling of stress and, and then what, what bits you start to prioritise, what bits do we have power over, what bits can we control, what bits, you know, for, for a lot of a lot of the stress that people are suffering, it's like we need to, you know, looking at how much, at what time you're going to bed, and how much out, how much how much sleep you're getting, because as we all know from having you know young kids, one of, one of the greatest things that can really really throw you out in your coping capacity is is not not sleeping, you know, just a couple of nights sleep, and of course you know with all the the wiggly woggly lines that are going on with the progesterone and estrogen, that you know things are being thrown out chemically. So then looking, it's like, okay, we need, things need to change. For me, one of the biggest ones, and it, I, I, I say it without any judgment, but alcohol is a huge one in terms of um, if people can eliminate alcohol, then what they're doing is they're taking out a big chemical influence out of that roller coaster. So again, it's it's being able to say to people, like, you know, I understand drinking drinking is a great relaxant. It's great socially. It might be it might be an avenue for having sex with somebody. So you know, therefore, I can understand that its role in, in making people instantly feel good. But on the whole, alcohol is just one to avoid if you really want to start getting really stable biochemistry. So you know, looking at what you can be doing more of, and then looking at what you shouldn't be doing much of, and so you know, really starting to tweak all those different variables. And saying, but but I think that the ultimate ultimate thing is that it needs to be led by a professional like yourself, because it's not something I think people can do on their own. It's like it's like trying to um, you know uh, captain a ship at storm in, in, during a storm. You know, you really sort of need all the different bits of information to to be able to understand how to navigate your way through, and that that's a really important part of having a team of people and certainly having a lead clinician on board, someone to check in and and what has often the way is there are episodes of it being really challenging of needing lots of help in a, you know lots of consultations within a month and then six months of cruising and then all of a sudden something kicks off again so just just under just understanding that that look this might be a five-year journey find someone that's going to accompany you on it that's going to always be around always be available and have this high level of knowledge like you do 
No, it's true. And it is really about how you, your thoughts and how you feel in your head really have a massive impact on your body. And say like with sleeping, if you don't sleep, well, in Chinese medicine, actually, you know, they say you can't make healthy decisions when you don't feel healthy. So like sleeping, if you're not sleeping, you, you wake up, I call it a sleep hangover because you just don't feel yourself. Uh, you wake up with a sleep hangover, you, you're not running on 100% power, you're running on maybe, depending on how much lack of sleep you've had, say 80%, and you just, you just can't think straight. Your words don't come quick enough, you can't concentrate. You know, you're just a bit like behind the times. Mm. And, and, and then often these sort of people then either binge on chocolate or have an extra cup of coffee. So then you just sort of like you sort of try and stimulate yourself in this sort of quick fix junky junky food way. And then the paradox of that is then getting you getting home and you're really wired and having a glass yeah. of wine to calm down yeah. again. To so it's sort of off, you know offsetting this kind of like chemical ups and downs in the process. And it's you know I agree. It's really just. Um, looking at all the different components that 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 make up a healthy lifestyle, and then and then working out which bits can you do and which which bits are reasonable to do now. What can you do right now? What can you do today? What can be done this week? And then and then over time, um, you know, the, the most important I think is is repetition. So it's not just you know eating a, eating a healthy meal. It's it's eating continuously healthy. It's not just giving up alcohol for a week. It's it's cutting it out entirely, or it's you know this idea of just um, building in sort of a pattern that so you can get the, this over time benefit. Absolutely, I agree completely. And also, I think you know sometimes they if you've been really really good, you like you're good. You're not drinking. You're eating healthy, but you go out with a bunch of friends and you have dinner and you eat dessert and you have a glass of wine. It's to really go out and enjoy that and not to feel guilty because the effects of feeling guilty are worse on your body than enjoying yourself. So I think you have to, you know, and if you've had a, you know, as one of my clients said this morning, she went a, excuse my French, an effort week. I'm not going to say the word <laughs> just in case, you know, she goes effort. I'm just going to eat it, you know, because, yeah. and if you're going to do that, relish it, like eat it exactly. with passion. <laughs> and it's funny. I just listened to a podcast the other day after I, it was, um, love yourself as if your life depends on it it was it was actually it was actually an audio book so it's a book that has been turned into a podcast but I loved that idea you know this idea that the most important relationship in the entire world is the one that you have with yourself and so you know for all of those things Lucy that idea of be kind to yourself if you've had a hard time be compassionate to yourself if you lose your lose your rag and you know scream at your kids or you're just constantly trying to check in with yourself and, and love yourself first because that's where everything else you know, follows and you know I, th I do think it's really important you know when we're raising kids and you said also raising girls it's really important to model you know how you want your daughter to relate to herself and that's through this kind you know doing a, doing your best mm -hmm. and, and you know, holding you know just just making good decisions and then and then even the you know doing doing things if you understand that you know, you know the dessert and the, and the glass of wine if it brings you pleasure that's it's of value then that then that sort of has its own place as well so it's um it's such a, isn't it aren't we lucky to be in this area of Chinese medicine and menopause and this growing body of knowledge and also, you know, understanding that women now are more empowered than they ever have been. Women are now more financially independent, have the financial means and have the sort of educational prowess to be able to strive for influence. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I've been diving into all these in inspirational 
leaders from the from the 19th century, oh, sorry, from the from the 20th century, so and the 21st century, the idea of all these themes that have been coming up, you know, Napoleon Hill, um, Alan Watts, who was a lovely Chinese medicine practitioner who sort of first brought Zen Buddhism to the mainstream world. And what's what's really fascinating for me is how many of them, um, the, the, the same themes have been recurring, you know, for, for the last sort of 100 years of, of wellness. And it's, yeah, it's really just starting to think. And the only difference that I've really noticed is, is that they are men talking to men about men's wellness. And I'm like, where are the women in all of this? Know. You know, where are the women? Where's the women? And there's a, there's a wonderful speaker. Um, her, her name's, I'm just going to remember her name. Oh, Florence Scoville Shin, and she wrote this book in the 1960s called The Game of Life, How to Play the Game of Life and Win. And I thought it was really interesting because it's all sort of around being very, it's being very mindful and setting manifestations as um, manifesting. And it's really, it's wonderful. But one of the other things that's very striking is it's very feminine. It's very much around how to attract a very good husband. (laughs) I thought, I thought we sort of need to use this opportunity to find our voice as women. And again, I'm, I'm exploring these areas of power of women showing up, of women in this later phase of life. And I think one of the challenges that women face is that we live in such an ageist society is that women, I believe, have a lot of power in society because of their sexual energy and they're sort of showing up. And what we see in menopause is women, as we talked about, feeling like they're losing that sexual energy, that they often women now feel sexually invisible and as a result they feel socially invisible. And to me there feels like this sort of gaping hole of how do women re-enter back in this very wise, very influential, um, very much rev- highly revered role, as we often see more in Eastern cultures, that older women are, con- are considered unbelievably um, valued and influential in the East Whereas in our in our Western societies, are sort of sidelined, as a you know, past past the you know past past it, so to speak. Down by date type of thing. Yeah, past myself so by, and I sort of feel like, oh, really, I, I we're on this incredible cusp because there's a whole bunch of very powerful women coming through. I think it's changing. I think um, we'll see it with. I, I think we'll see it, particularly with my youngest daughter. She's ten, so I think life is changing. I think we aren't. When I grew up. Um, it was very much girls should be seen and not heard. You can't be too good. You can't um, excel too much because you'll upset the man in your life. That's very much the way I was taught, but it's very much the way my mother was taught. So it was breaking that um, barrier. And um, I'll give you an example. Like my my little daughter was chatting because like the phones are hilarious. So she's got my phone and she was chatting to her friend on the phone and her friend just never said goodbye, just hung up. So she rung her back and she couldn't get through again. And then she rung her back late or Priya rung her back later and she hung up on her again. So she sent a message on Facebook messenger going, Priya, I don't like the way you hung up on me. And her mom was telling me and I was like oh I could have to tell Amber she can't say those things but actually I didn't I held back and I was like do you know what that's Amber in her power saying that she didn't like something so then her friend messaged her back and said oh I'm so sorry Amber I never said it's a bad habit I do I just hang up the phone without saying goodbye so it was a you know a complete misunderstanding with two people but I am so glad I didn't intervene and tell her she shouldn't do that because I think that's something that I would have been told not to be rude you know not to be seen and not heard type of thing whereas she stepped into her power and this was something she didn't like 
and she did something about it. So I mm -hmm. think the generation of younger girls are going to change because of the changes we're making in our lives. And, and, I have, and I would love to acknowledge all the women that have come before us to give us the position to Absolutely. parent in this way. You know, and just thinking that what this lovely long line, that's right. This sort of long, long line of long line of, of, of influential women. And, and so, you know, listening to anyone listening today, I, I would sort of encourage you to think of like, what's what can you be doing to to be an influencer in your in your life, whether whether that's immediately within the family, immediately within the local community, immediately within society, but just that sort of showing up and having been confident and and really using this midlife episode as an opportunity to say it's it's this gate of life. And yes. walk through it and walk through and recreate you know, with the curiosity that you mentioned, Lucy, and with this power and with this you know, opportunity to really um, step into the, the new version of, the, of yourself and what your future looks like. I think that's really good. I think that's brilliant because, and I think influencing people doesn't have to be on a massive scale. You don't have to be online. You don't have to be doing big talks or podcasts. It's just, as you said, in that little in your little community you know if you influence one person you've done an amazing job and I, there's, I've got a lovely friend here in Ibiza who says something she goes I've I love getting old I can just be who I am and <laughs> and, and you know and I just thought wow isn't that interesting to think that it's sort of as that age can be authenticity that, that it's sort of you know that you actually just grow into yourself and that yeah. you know she's, she's in her 60s now and she's just got this incredible like I can just say effort as you said you know like everything <laughs> I could just be myself and I don't have to worry what anybody thinks or does. I'm thinking, wow, that's what, how liberating and, and what a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of that and make that who you are. It's true. And I think that comes with age and maturity a little bit too. But I think if we can show our younger girls that, that, that you can be okay in your own skin, I think that's important that you don't have to follow the trends. You don't have to, you know, be like the little clones of them walking around the place that you can have your individuality you can be that too but you can be an individual as well I think that's an important message and I think that's something that as we age that comes into it you know it's a bit like that expression you can't put an old head on young shoulders but I think you can you can teach them and you know as I said as you said influence them in their lives enough that they realize that they you know self-love is very important Mm. Well, again, anyone listening today, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you are struggling, it is wonderful to know that there are people like Lucy that can help, you know, that that's just a, not, not to struggle alone, that, you know, the consultations are completely private, that there's incredible body of knowledge, you know, so, so much so I've just written a 500 page textbook teaching other acupuncturists about that. So, yeah, so just, just really, you know, I feel like I'm in a strong position to be able to say that there is, so there are solutions to every problem. And it's just finding a good match with somebody who has the knowledge to help through that process. That's very true. Kathy, you've been a really inspirational guest and you've brought up so many amazing topics that not don't get talked about very much. Um, I can th thank you very much for that. And just to let everyone know as well, if you, I am, I'm actually now a Dutch hormone tester. So if you need your hormones tested to find out where you're lacking, if it's, if you are, weakened progesterone or your estrogen dominance or your cortisol is high all of those can be tested from the Dutch test so again I'll leave the link there at the bottom and you can contact me and we can do that for you as well. Kath thank you so much thank you thank you. Thank you Lucy and thank you again for all the other guests on your episodes it's been such a pleasure listening to Women's Health Matters thank you for your podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>